Hi, this is Gary Meese with The Case Against, back again after a, a hiatus of a couple of months. Uh, I'd gotten through, essentially, with the two books, Blood on Black and, the, and uh, Where the Monsters Go, uh, except for one chapter, which I just simply held off on recording for various reasons. Uh, I think it's a little more speculative than some of the other chapters. Um, and it delves into a more controversial area of the case that I think there are reasonable uh, opposing opinions about this. Uh, and that is the occult, so-called satanic aspects of the case. I had uh, finished recording all the other material from two of my books, Blood on Black and Where the Monsters Go, except for this one chapter, which is from uh, Where the Monsters Go toward the end. Uh, those books are available on Amazon. There's also another book, which is a revised, condensed, uh, edited version. Not that I didn't edit the other books, but uh, this is it's significantly edited down into a, a more uh, compact version. It's still... A fairly good uh, chunk of reading called The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. My intention is to start a new series of podcasts going back over that particular book. It's going to be a retread of a lot of the material from the other books, but it will be in a slight, it'll be somewhat different format. Uh, and I am going to start that very soon. Uh, all those books are available on Amazon, and since I'm putting in plugs for myself, I will add that I do have a Patreon page if somebody wants to contribute to the effort. Uh, it costs me something to put out these podcasts, and, uh, you know, if I can, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to stop if I don't get any money, but, you know, anybody who wants to contribute can find me on Patreon and uh, and uh, contribute something. I actually haven't checked the account. Uh, I think I've had at least one contribution. Uh, I didn't write these books with the intention of making a huge sum of money off of them. Uh, I would have liked that, but obviously, but uh, that wasn't my intention. Uh, I'm more interested in getting the truth out there more than anything else. And, uh, you know, I have some other things in the works. I've, I've been working on a couple of other projects and piddling around and doing stuff totally, totally has nothing to do with any of this. Uh, in, in a certain sense, taking a bit of a break from the West Memphis Three case. It does tend to weigh on the mind after a while. Uh, Anyway, I'm going to get into uh, this chapter uh, from Where the Monsters Go. While Damien Eccles, Jesse Muskelly Jr., and Jason Baldwin were viciously beating three little boys to death in Robin Hood Hills, there was satanic panic. The sheer terror those poor children felt at the hands of three vicious thugs can be sensed in many Muskelly's many self-serving confessions. 
and I've, I've laid those out, and there are a number of confessions that Muskelly made. He also was not, uh, in the summer of 1993, after these killings on May 5th, 1993, in his talks with his attorney, Dan Stidham, uh, he had several, we have records of several consultations he did with uh, Stidham in which he doesn't deny his role in the killings. It was only in around August and September of 1993 when they they were floundering around for something to come up with uh, in terms of defense. They came up with the idea that these confessions were coerced and that poor little Jesse was just simply fed all this information by the police. Uh, supposedly, if you listen to supporters of the West Memphis Three, Jesse Miskelly lacked the mental abilities to even uh, feed back the kind of information in the short amount of time that he had not recorded with the police, about an hour and a half or so, somewhat less, I think, uh, to, to actually give that information back in some sort of coherent way. He uh, deliberately misled the, uh, as he later confessed, he deliberately misled the uh, police on the time of day, which is the one, the one big thing that uh, supporters hang on to and saying the confessions don't make any sense. Uh, he uh, was making up stuff, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he also said that the boys were tied with rope, and there's no evidence they were tied with rope. Other than that, his confessions are highly consistent with the evidence. Now to go on with the book, a, a kind of panic followed in the community. Not much different than the resulting panic in large cities such as Los Angeles or New York when a night stalker or son of Sam waged a campaign of terror. As the case of the West Memphis Three demonstrated, fear of satanic murderers is justified. Similar justified fears were in the air years before the satanic panic of the 1980s took hold. Killers with ties to the occult, such as Charles Manson, David Berkowitz, the Chicago Rippers, and Richard Ramirez were the realities that sometimes leaped out from behind such seemingly harmless phenomena as horror movies, such as The Exorcist, Omen, and Halloween, etc. Horror bestsellers from Stephen King and Anne Rice. Heavy metal groups such as Slayer and Black Sabbath, and the burgeoning goth scene. Dangerous uncertainty is an impetus for fear and for faith when terror of the unknown largely focused on the very real terrors of primeval forest just beyond the village, such helpless innocents as Hansel and Gretel or Little Red Riding Hood found horror awaiting them down darkly dappled paths. Folk stories helped tame the untamable through such tropes as turning a hungry wolf into a strangely smiling grandmother who can easily be dispatched by a passing woodsman. While murder by a razor-welding orangutan has not become a significant problem in the modern world, Edgar Allan Poe's The Murders in the Rue Morgue, all the way back in 1842, tapped into the public sphere of 
emerging unknowns in an increasingly urbanized landscape full of novel and unprecedented threats. The con consolation in Poe's tale was the power of the rational mind to dispel mystery. That was for the elite, however. The mob was left to its uncomprehending reaction. The erosion of faith in the modern era has had the paradoxical effect of an increasing preoccupation with horror and the occult, as well as such other fantastic concerns as conspiracies by secret societies and psychic manipulation by space aliens, all of which are ways of making sense of the senseless. By 1993, public awareness and concern with all things magical, fueled by revolutionary chains and social understandings, sensationalistic pop culture, and the countercultural fads of the 1960s had become a cultural cliché. Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Wolfman have been staples of movies and books for much of the century, with vampires, ghosts, witches, and werewolves borrowed from European folktales going through their familiar roles time and again. Avon and Costello were among the first to milk the monsters for laughs, horror spoofs, spinoffs, and takeoffs eventually became a genre in its own right. The 60s turned iconoclasm, outre behavior, and dabbling with the occult into the affirmations of extreme antinomian individualism advocated by the counterculture. The Rococo 70s added ubiquitous sleaze and a taste for explicit gore. Heavy metal music and over-the-top acts such as Alice Cooper and Ozzy Osbourne cranked up the volume on the staples of horror, once terrorized, now merely entertained. Iron Maiden even cut a song called The Murders in the Rue Morgue, based on the Poe tale, for a record album tellingly titled Killers. By 1993, Jack the Ripper was not only a household name, but a staple figure in television drama. Real-life serial killers such as John Wayne Gacy and fictional monsters such as Norman Bates or Michael Myers took on lives as icons of pop culture. Damien Eccles was told at once at the psychiatric hospital that, quote, he could be another Charles Manson or Ted Bundy. While not intended as a compliment, it probably sounded like one to Eccles. Killers such as this have a countercultural appeal seemingly irresistible to transgressive entertainers such as Eccles' pal Marilyn Manson or to aspiring monsters such as Eccles, not to mention otherwise sensible prison brides. Horror has taken on many hues, witnessed not only Kolchak the Night Stalker and Dark Shadows, but such lightweight fare as the Munsters or the Adams Family or even educational fare for preschoolers, such as The Count on Sesame Street. More recently, The Walking Dead, American Horror Story, and True Blood television series and the Twilight book movie series are typical of the variations on horror themes. The wizardry of Harry Potter permeated the elementary schools, and, and, and arguably the... Uh, the pop culture sensibilities of at least one generation, pro probably more like two, Americans have long been fascinated and sometimes appalled by horror, deviltry, and gothic dread. The satanic ritual abuse panic was something else again. 
The hysteria that gripped portions of the nation for the 1980s into the 1990s was more akin to the Salem witch hunts than the legend of Sleepy Hollow. As with the witch trials and similar outbreaks of hysteria throughout history, the lack of hard evidence of satanic ritual abuse made little difference to the prosecutors. Human nature doesn't change. In the early days of the Christian faith, the followers of Jesus Christ were rumored to be involved in cannibalistic practices such as drinking blood and child murder, prompting the state to engage in periodic purges and sacrifices at the Colosseum. When the Roman Catholic Church was in its heyday, heretical sects were persecuted based on wild rumors about crimes against God and nature. Jews often became victims of blood libel. Witch trials and the Inquisition are viewed today as dark chapters in European history. They were long chapters with many thousands of victims. And there was that episode in Salem, Massachusetts, so frequently alluded to in the West Memphis Three case. It's safe to assume that many of history's horror stories were often exaggerated, if not wholly concocted. The real horror was often the reaction of established powers to what were seen as secretive, conspiratorial networks of evildoers. Such was the case with many of the high-profile satanic ritual abuse persecutions. The dearth of actual devil worshippers or dead infants was no impediment to the prosecution of alleged baby-eating devil worshippers. Ironically, many of the victims of the ritual abuse craze ignited by the Media attention to the McMartin Preschool case in 1984 were church employees working in daycare centers. In Memphis, the allegation centered on the daycare center at Georgian Hills Baptist Church in Fraser, which was about as unlikely a location for an actual satanic network of child molesters as can be imagined. Four staff members, including the church pastor, were indicted. Charges were dropped against two, including the pastor, another was acquitted. Eventually, the investigation resulted in one conviction for the original defendant on a single charge, which was then overturned on appeal and not prosecuted further. At one point in my long tenure at the Commercial Appeal newspaper in Memphis, I spent a number of days copy-editing a special investigative report by two of the newspaper's top reporters, Shirley Downing and Tom Charlier, about the wave of ritual sex abuse allegations across the country. The 1988 investigation, prompted largely by the Georgian Hills and McMartin cases, found no cases where practicing followers of the Church of Satan or some more devilish offshoot were rounding up preschoolers for wild sex adventures. The series concluded, quote, allegations of Satanism, of rites involving mutilation, Infant sacrifice and devil worship have since emerged in more than 100 child abuse cases across the country. In four years, though, investigators have found no evidence to support fears that cults are preying on the nation's children. The Commercial Appeal studied ritual abuse allegations in 36 cases and found instead that many of the stories labeled satanic or ritual have the hallmarks of urban legends. A 2014 book by a critic of the series, Ross E. Cheat, I think it's his name is spelled C-H-E-I-T, so I'm going to say it's Cheat, but it could, he could pronounce it differently. 
said of just said of justice abused a 1980s witch hunt which was the title of the series that quote the series has become one of the foundational works in the witch hunt narrative unquote he faulted the newspaper series however as deeply flawed with padded cases that never involved an arrest as well as including in its 36 cases a dozen that resulted in convictions he cites numerous other problems in the journalist's methodology Cheat's critique largely hand on his contention that while the ritualistic or satanic elements cited by the reporters were overblown or simply absent in many of the cases, a number of the cases actually did involve the sexual abuse of children. In essence, Cheat's contention was that the newspaper grossly exaggerated the number of, quote, ritual satanic sex abuse of children allegations there's an unquote in there, and then undercut that inflated number by finding nothing there. It is arguable that a series intended to expose satanic panic contributed to the hysteria despite its ultimate conclusions while minimizing instances of actual sexual abuse. Now, the same newspaper, run by largely the same editorial staff, routinely has been accused of fueling satanic panic in its coverage of the West Memphis Three case. In the Georgian Hills case, the primary defendant was a devout Baptist preschool teacher, not a teenager posing as a bloody, a blood-sucking vampire, such as Damien Eccles. The West Memphis crimes required no sensationalistic coverage to achieve notoriety or full-fuel newsstand sales. The entire Mid-South, revolted by the senseless horror of the crimes, followed the case avidly. The first book on the case, Blood of Innocence, by three commercial appeal employees, was an even-handed look at the crimes packaged as a fairly typical true crime book. Blood of Innocence, long since out of print, holds up better as an objective statement of fact than the wildly speculative and strongly biased Devil's Knot by good old Mara Leverett. Among the many wrong-headed ideas propounded by Devil's Knot was that residents engaged in a witch hunt is part of the satanic ritual abuse craze. Confounding the visceral reaction to an actual crime with unthinking hysteria about imagined events. While the witchcraft elements figured into the prosecution, they were not central to the case, which had stronger evidence such as confessions, Sightings of Damien Eccles near the scene of the crime, failed lie detector test, and all three defendants confessing to some aspect of killing the children, particularly Damien, particularly Jesse Miskelly, but Jason Baldwin also confessed, and Damien Eccles also confessed. Not to, uh, the last two, not to uh, police, but to other witnesses. The satanic ritual abuse craze had grown out of the recovered memory movement, a fad in which people claimed to, quote, recover re repressed memories of sex rituals they had been forced into as children. Little, uh, little evidence was uncovered to support most such claims. I don't know where I, I got a quote in there. Oh, I see where the quote is. Forget, forget it. 
uh, a variant of the recovery memory movement was a similar fad in which people remembered alien abductions. No hard evidence was found of those either, though the antiquity and persistence of such reports suggested something significant was going on, such as the disturbing psychological phenomenon misinterpreted as a concrete experience. The book Michelle Remembers and its subsequent promotion on Geraldo Rivera's TV show were the specific vehicles that drove the recovery memory craze. Uh, and might note that Rivera later hosted a show focusing on the West Memphis case as it was going to trial. As the ritual sex abuse craze grew, many police departments signed up for courses on investigating occult activity. Police specializing in such crimes became known as cult cops. Materials from these experts figured heavily into aspects of the West Memphis case. Eventually, the ritual sex abuse cases largely fell apart, though only after destroying many people's lives and disturbing communities. Dr. Richard Offshee, the a psycho, social psychology professor from the University of California at Berkeley, who testified as an expert for the West Memphis Three defense, offered a useful distinction for the court on occult murder. Dr. Offshee said he had been a consultant on one real occult-inspired murder, but had consulted on a number of other cases in which allegations of a baby-murdering satanic cult had been found to be, quote, totally without foundation, unquote. The FBI had found no cases of child-murdering, child-sex-abusing, secret satanic cults, he said. And that's all true, but the findings of the FBI are often misapplied to the West Memphis Three cases and, and other cases. Dr. Ufshi went on, On the other hand, there are, in my experience, what I would call youth culture groups that get interested in the cult. And these are the groups that are responsible for graffiti, responsible for the undisputed animal mutilations that sometimes occur. The dividing line is between the murderous, baby-killing, satanic cults and the youth culture groups and the occasional occult-inspired criminal groups that do, in fact, exist. So there's a reality to it, and then there's a mythical level to it. Dr. Offshee said he had seen no evidence that the West Memphis killings had an occult element or the satanic cult existed in the area. Prosecutors declined to press him about these statements made outside the presence of the jury. It was unclear how much evidence he surveyed. For instance, it was unknown if he was aware of Eccles' involvement in witchcraft or of the local youth culture group known as the Covenant of Divine Light, or of the graffiti and undisputed animal mutilations perpetrated by local occult-inspired criminal gangs. Despite the necessary distinction between real and imagined crimes, supporters of the West Memphis Three and many critics of media reports of satanic killers continued to lump in real-life crimes with the largely imaginary crimes of the satanic panic era. The killers find such comparisons a helpful distraction. For example, Eccles told CNN in 2007 that, quote, 
West Memphis is pretty much like a second Salem. I mean, you know, because everything that happens there, every problem, no matter what it is, it's blamed on Satanism. Now, West Memphis was no stranger to public tragedy, both prior to and since the Robin Hood Hills killings, but no other problems have been blamed on Satanism. No children have been ritually murdered in the West Memphis area since the arrest of Eccles and his two accomplices. And there were no allegations in, that I'm aware of any previous cases that uh, Satanism or the occult were involved in some of the other horrific killings that occurred in the West Memphis area. In the West Memphis case, and so Eccles saying every, every problem is blamed on Satanism is on its face, ridiculous. In the West Memphis case, investigators were concerned about graffiti with occult themes and signs of rituals involving the killing of animals long before the killings. Parents were justifiably concerned about the rumored and real participation of local teenagers in occult practices. Some local law enforcement officers, notably Eccles Juvenile Patrol Officer Jerry Driver, seem to have become obsessed with concerns about Satanism. Given the horrors of May 1993, those concerns were justified. Just as the Chicago Rippers and the Night Stalkers were not fantasies conjured up by the recovery of repressed memories, the Robin Hood Hills murders were real-life nightmares living out the devilish fant fantasies of Damien Eccles and twisted hungers of Jason Baldwin. Prosecutors have been criticized for making an error in bringing in Dr. Gail, Dale Griffiths, a self-educated occult expert for the Eccles-Baldwin trial. Neither prosecutors nor jurors seemed impressed by his testimony. Nonetheless, Griffiths helped the prosecution as he gave jurors some basis on which to judge Eccles' glib explication of occult lore. Griffiths said the killings had, quote, the trappings of occultism, unquote. He stated children were a preferred sacrifice because, quote, the younger, the more innocent, the better, the life force. Echoing statements from Damien Eccles and also echoing statements from his uh, spiritual guide, Aleister Crowley. The retired police officer testified that the number three was significant in magical workings. A fact that's also mentioned by Eccles, the fact that the victims were all eight years old was deemed potentially significant since eight was a number associated with witches. Griffiths also found significance in the fact that injuries were found mostly on the left side as the left side is associated with the occult. I don't know about that one, but, you know, it's, it's true that the left side is associated with the occult. I don't know if they were thinking in those terms at the time they perpetrated those crimes. In fact, I don't know exactly what they were thinking. I'm not a mind reader. But there were ritualistic aspects to the crimes, which is my point with this, even if they didn't find a satanic altar on the site. The bank where the boys were killed was washed down and smoothed out. <coughs> Griffiths found this consistent with a magical ceremony. He said the overkill or multiple assaults could have occult significance. 
the fact that the boys were killed near water could sacrifice could signify a baptismal type rite. And Eccles told the police that water was quote a demon type symbolism unquote. The bindings of the victims ankle to wrist displayed the genitalia also significant for magical rites said Griffiths. And the castration of Chris Byers represented a harvesting of semen, deemed to have a special potency. Critics have made much of the fact that Griffiths obtained his Ph.D. from a mail-ordered college, as was revealed during the crowd, to the chagrin of the prosecution. Griffiths, a veteran lawman who saw a need for greater understanding of alternative religious systems and crime investigations, would not have been able to obtain a degree in occult crime from any traditional college, so he carved out his own area of specialty. Griffiths was a highly trained and experienced law enforcement officer who held other academic degrees. Still, using Griffiths as a witness abetted the subsequent lumping in of the West Memphis Three case with satanic panic. His perceived lack of credibility contributed to the impression that the police and prosecutors were overreaching for an occult explanation for the killings. Griffith's involvement in the investigation of occult crime in Crittenden County predated the murders, as he was asked to review signs of occult activity the year before and had made recommendations at that time. And in fact, he really seemed to know very little about the actual case itself other than those facts we've mentioned. He had he'd not done an in-depth study of them, though he'd been apprised of the basic facts of the case, including a lot of the occult, potentially occult or ritualistic signs of uh, evident at the crime scene. Many facts of the case indicated the murders had an intended ritual aspect and that Eccles was using the deaths as a source of power, but the absence of ritual objects along with the absence of other material evidence at the scene, created room for doubt, which grew to derision. Eccles, eager to offer in-depth insights just days after the bodies were discovered, described the murderer as someone sick, and that was some type of thrill kill. Typically, Drill killers are young males driven by a need to feel powerful through torturing and degrading their victims. The attainment of power is a primary motivation for Satanists as well as for other magic practitioners. Baldwin's zeal in killing and mutilating the boys and his seeming indifference to occultism suggest that his motivations and Eccles' motivations were highly complementary but not the same. With Eccles driven by magical obsessions and the need to accumulate so-called power, while Baldwin was just looking for some kicks. The deaths were no satanic panic fantasy. Eccles, an admitted witch, expressed great admiration for such occult icons as Aleister Crowley and Church of Satan founder Anton LaPay, and testified that he was thoroughly familiar with the tenets of black magic. Jesse Miskelly Jr. repeatedly described in graphic detail how Baldwin and Eccles abused their victims and how the rituals of the cult prepared them for the culminating kills. Crowley defined magic, a term Eccles constantly uses in his writings and social media postings, 
as, quote, the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will, unquote. The aims of magic and the aims of a thrill kill coincide to the extent that both seek to obtain power through extraordinary extension of the will. Eccles' psychological records exhaustively detailed his preoccupation with the attainment of power through such methods as drinking blood. None of that sprang from the imaginative unconscience of the police and prosecutors. The local community was understandably shaken and terrified for their children after the grotesque discovery of the bodies of three little kids in a seemingly safe and placid neighborhood. But no one went on a witch hunt. The area's most notorious witch stalked up and down the streets as usual after the killings and was partying with friends the night he was arrested. The authorities showed up with warrants, not pitchforks. Local heavy metal fans who wore black t-shirts before the killings continued to wear them freely after the arrest. Odd haircuts have been around since the 1960s. The killer's quaffs were nothing new. No one was prosecuted Salem-style. There was no satanic panic in West Memphis, though there was deep and widespread fear. These convictions did not come from traumatized residents of Creighton County, but from jurors in Jonesboro and Corning, Arkansas. There has been a great deal of hysterical confabulation on the West Memphis Three case, naming innocents as villains, detailing horrendous acts based on little or no evidence, fueled by stupid prejudice, by Paradise Lost viewers, Devil's Notch readers, and the Gnostic scribes on the various West Memphis Three bulletin boards. Supporters less thoughtful than the average mob have glommed on to a facile narrative that does not comport with the facts. Anyone who doesn't agree with them opens himself up not just to criticism, but virulent abuse, threats, insinuation, and retaliation. Anyone is a suspect except the cool kids who actually murdered three little boys. Such is the West Memphis Three witch hunt that some of us have experienced. An ignorant, unthinking gang of know-it-all, know-nothings looking for a scapegoat, any scapegoat, while idealizing a trio of vicious killers. And that's it from me this time. Wishing you all well. I forgot to access my crickets and frogs. For those who are familiar with previous recordings, and I'm not going to try to not going to try to work them into this one. Frankly, it's been a while. I had some trouble with just the technological aspects of getting this going. And uh, I will be putting out a new series uh, in the podcast soon. Within, I, I, my intention is to produce a perhaps a chapter a week, maybe maybe faster than that, but probably a chapter a week. Wishing you all well, and I'll you'll hear from me again soon. Thanks. <laughs>